Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to season three of Get It Off Your Breasts, the podcast that digs into all those issues that really get under your skin. I'm Leanna Bird and joining me with Emma Gannon, we have some very special guests. Everyone, um, welcome! Thank you so much for coming out so bright and early uh, to this absolutely gorgeous pop-up here in Covent Garden, where two clothing are celebrating the nation's knockers. Um, so, why are we here doing this live podcast recording of "Get It Off Your Breasts" today? Well, um, two did some research. They spoke to two thousand women. And they found all kinds of stuff about the way women feel about their their boobs. And one of the stats that really stood out to us is that um, 58% of women said they'd like their boobs to be different. I don't know about you, but we found that quite shocking and surprising. And we thought that we just wanted to open out the conversation in general around boobs, breasts, knockers, maracas, whatever you like to call yours. And we thought um, it warranted a very live, a very special rather, live episode of Get Up Your Breasts. This is going to be a boobs special and we're so delighted to have this incredible panel who Emma's going to tell you a little bit more about. Yes. Oh, I feel like I need to stand now. Do it. I'm going to stand. No, you guys don't need to stand. I'm going to. I'm actually going to sit back down. Um, thank you, everyone, so much for coming. We started get it off your breasts a year ago, two years ago, two years. I but think just yeah. because we felt like we needed a space just to basically rant a bit and just get things off our chest, basically, and feel a bit lighter about a lot of issues that we feel like we can't talk about. So the format, if you haven't listened to the podcast on iTunes, is everyone gets their 15 minutes to basically get something off their breast. So these guys, who I'm going to introduce now, Chadira Egaru, the most amazing slum flower on Instagram and on the internet. My fa- basically one of my favourite people, so I'm so excited she's here. And guys, she won an award last night and Lenny Henry presented it to her. It was, we're just so proud and you won the vi- Visionary Award for your book, What a Time to Be Alone. She's also the author of another book called Scribble Yourself Feminist, which is amazing. Both best-selling incredible books. And the, and the founder and creator of... Hashtag Saggy Boobs Matter. Woo! And I don't know about you, but I, I am one of the 52%. I don't like my boobs. And your movement has made, well, just so much difference to so many people, I think. Because I'm just embracing them. Thank you. Thank Braless. I feel like when I see you, I don't wear a bra. It's it right great. Either. I'm wearing one yes. today. Um, so, Louise O'Reilly, the incredible Starmy Curvy, an award-winning blog. You've been a model for 10 years. You've done incredible things. You're working with two on an underwear and bikini campaign? Yes, yeah, so I just finished working with them there on a gorgeous lingerie shoot that you guys um, so yeah, I've been I've had the pleasure of working with them now for a little over a year, and I'm just so excited to work with a brand that's so inclusive, which is so important in our industry. I think. Yes, amazing, and please follow Louise on Instagram just to see her beautiful, so beautiful shots. And Liv Purvis, last but not least, a blogger for many decades, even though you're very young. 
I've only been alive two, de- two and a half decades. <laughs> she blogged from the womb, guys. Um, you have been one of the OG bloggers, though, and recently you have launched something else, the Insecure Girls Club, something about something that we all need, I think, celebrating insecurity and vulnerability and knowing that it's not weak to say that you're not okay. Um, yeah, so thank you all so much. Also, Liv has a podcast called The Fringe of It. So check that out. Anyway, that's enough. I could say way more, but it would take the whole hour to introduce these guys. I mean, I don't mind. Um, <laughs> so we're going to get started. Um, Jadira, do you want to go first? Yes. So 15 minutes for me to rant. And obviously, I'm going to rant about Saggy Boobs Matter. So first of all, why I created Saggy Boobs Matter is because, one, I've got saggy boobs, and I have had them all my life. Well, I didn't have boobs all my life. I, I got boobs when I was about maybe like 12. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. Just new installation. It's not going away. Great. Um, but they grew saggy. So I was really confused. Like, why are they growing downwards? Because I haven't had any kids. And this is not fair. I've really got the short end of the stick. But that's because I saw from, you know, advertising. And when I'd go to places to go and get my bra fittings done... Um, the people on the packaging would have perky boobs. And I'd only ever see perky boobs being celebrated on a woman's body. So I definitely thought, yeah, I've got granny boobs and this is the end of my life. And people are going to make fun of me now because I have granny boobs. So I used to always buy those, you know those T-shirt bras that have the extra um, fillet inside it so you can have the push-up effect? I used to always wear that. My boobs would still look saggy in that. So I was like, wow, I'm actually doomed. Well then, um, <laughs> that sucks. And... I carried that insecurity for years, and this started when I was about 14, so up until 17. I remember being 17 and saying to my mom, when I'm 18, I'm going to save up money with my first ever job and get a boob job. Now, it was very ambitious of a 17-year-old to think that her... First of all, at 17, what job are you going to get with your minimum skills? Um, <laughs> enough to save up for an £8,000 procedure. I'm sure it's a bit cheaper now, probably like four grand now for the procedure. But either way, four grand, a 17-year-old trying to save up to get her boobs done as if. Um, but I was hell-bent on doing that. I had researched all the surgeons on the internet. I saw how the procedure worked. I was like, hmm, do I want it behind the muscle or in front of the muscle? Do I want them to cut my actual areola off and stuff the implant through there? Or do I want to cut them underneath? Like, it was really graphic. I was super, like, into it, and I decided, yeah, I'm going to get a boob job, then get my nose done. Like, I was just doing a lot at 17. <laughs> then when I realised I couldn't afford it, I was like, well, I guess it's probably cheaper to just love myself. So let's do this whole self-love thing. But bear in mind, when I was 17, um, there wasn't really much happening on the internet in terms of self-love, let alone anything. I mean, when I was 17, I'm now 24, but when, I'm, when I was 17, um, Instagram was only just starting out. And it was when, um, when you load a photo on Instagram, like it had those like, really horrible, clunky filters um, that made every photo look like it was taken in 1920. <laughs> and it was kind of like, mm, okay, this, this works. But we all just kind of went with it. We all just accepted Instagram as it was. And now she's devolved and grown into this wonderful thing that we can all make money off of, which is nice. <laughs> um, go Instagram. But um, I remember during that period just thinking, well, I'm just going to post photos of myself wearing outfits that I like and... I didn't even realise that that was when I had actually begun my own journey of self-love, purely because I couldn't actually afford the option that I wanted. Um, And so I started to see, during that period, that Rihanna had released this collection, 
um, with a, I think it was River Island or something, and all the items were so cute. Like it was those, you know, string vests that, that were crop top style, and you know, all these like cute um, jersey midi skirts. Like Rihanna was out here just styling it up with no bra. But bear in mind, at the time, Rihanna had smaller boobs than me. And so I remember seeing Rihanna not wearing a bra of anything and thinking, yeah, this is the lick, I'm going to do this. But then the downside was that when I would wear my clothing without a bra, people would come for me on the internet and be like, wow, you've got slipper boobs. I'd be like, this is so specific and so creative that if you decided to actually pursue a career in comedy, you would excel. But you've chosen to waste that on me, a stranger, to make me feel bad about myself. And congratulations, it absolutely worked. And so I would continuously like, read through people just being horrible and think, like, I can't be the only person who has boobs like this, which means that if other people are reading this through like, what I'm getting in my notifications and I see what people are saying to me about my body, then they must think, wow, I could be next if I choose to ever post anything where my boobs are you know, revealed to be saggy. And that's when I realised, okay, then there's a conversation that needs to be had about boobs. Um, so then that's when I decided I'm going to stop wearing a bra entirely and I'm just going to keep go- rolling with the punches and keep going with it. And people were really resistant, but I had to decide, do I want to live for people that don't even live for themselves or do I want to live for myself? Because if you are trying to live your life according to the standards of people who don't even like themselves, you're going to be caught in an endless spiral of being unhappy just like them because they can't even meet their own standards, which means that they're also unhappy about themselves, but it's always easier to make someone else feel unhappy about their self before you actually address why you are unhappy about yourself. So I had to really take that message on in my mind early on. And then fast forward to about 22... I threw this party called Block Him Party, and the whole point... Mm, mm. It's exactly what it says on the tin. It's basically it's what you think it is. So I was basically celebrating women blocking men, because um, we need to do that. It, the whole point, the whole ethos behind it was quite moral and ethical. It wasn't about bashing men, um, which is one of my side hobbies. But um, <laughs> the whole point was to encourage women who have just gotten out of a a relationship with a straight man to actually meet other women who have just come out of a bad relationship too. Because if you notice, right, for any of you who date men, I'm so sorry, um, (laughs) I also am accepting sympathy in the form of vouchers. Yeah. So for any of you who date men, right, have you noticed that when you come out of a bad relationship, you suddenly want to start, you know, talking to other women who have also gone through it or even talk to the girl that he cheated with just so you can like find out what is happening here or like is she better than me or um you just want to get an insight into like what's really going on here and am I the only person feeling these feelings and so through putting that event together um we were able to have a party and everyone was coming looking cute and it was held in this nail salon in Soho it was really really amazing and then at the end of the party I did a whole talk about the importance of accountability because it's one thing you know pointing at men or people you date and saying this person hurt me and this is the list of their actions that created this pain in me but it's another thing being able to look at yourself and think what patterns of behavior did I you know create to enable this behavior what role did I play in the situation because that's the only way you can take your power back by recognizing the role you played (coughs) so that was the whole aim of the party and it was successful and so I remember taking loads of pictures wearing this deep plunge yellow cute misguided dress I looked really happy in all the pictures my boobs looked really saggy but I was like at this point 
I was, you know, already typing the caption on Instagram to upload, and I thought, okay, people are going to be so horrible. So what I'm going to do is use this photo as an opportunity to open up a conversation about boobs. So I decided to upload it to my Insta story and put loads of, like, text all over the picture talking about, you know, the history of um, women being sexualized for their boobs and this whole idea that we have got to be perfect for people who don't even wash their belly buttons and use 12-in-1 <laughs> body wash and... <laughs> <laughs> what we need to do to really understand that there is actually no benefit that comes from living for people who don't actually make much of an effort because patriarchy allows them to be the bare minimum and still be worthy. So I decided, well, why can't I be bare minimum? Why can't I be saggy and be worthy? So I decided to upload the photo on Instagram, got the hate I expected, um, managed to get cyberbullied by this like um, massive Nigerian musician, then I posted it on Twitter and was like, hey, thanks for cyberbullying me. Hope you feel better about yourself. Then he like fake apologized because he felt really called out. And then people started to open up this massive conversation about me trying to seek attention for having saggy boobs. Then that's when I was like, wow. So basically, I can't even speak up. People are hurting me because I'm seeking attention for being hurt. So I can't actually win or exist in peace. Then I realized that a lot of women were in my notifications saying, oh my God, me too. I have just given birth to a baby and everyone was telling me that I should not breastfeed because if I do, I'm going to sag. So basically, people were more concerned about this woman being able to maintain the perkiness of her boobs and to actually provide her baby with the nutrients that it needs to actually get through this gruelling world. So it goes to show that the the way that patriarchy is ingrained in all of us is so deep that we all have got to make the effort to shed our own internalised misogyny because for those who don't know, misogyny is the hate of women which is a byproduct of patriarchy the world wants you to hate yourself in order for it to spin at your expense and so the whole point of Saggy Boobs Matter to really wrap it up now is to encourage people to understand that women don't exist to be liked by men or anyone if you want to be a horrible person be a horrible person, just don't do that to other people Like if you want to be someone who doesn't um, live according to the standards that are imposed on you absolutely do it but keep in mind that you will be, have to be prepared to disappoint people and to not be understood by people that you want to understand you because remember that they also carry that same internalised misogyny and you can't make them do the work all you can do is the work on yourself and once you do the work on yourself that's where your power comes from because when you know yourself you also know why other people behave how they do and you know how to respond to them. You know that you don't need to actually attend every single like battle you're invited to because you're bigger than that and your purpose extends beyond that. And like I just feel like having saggy boobs or unattractive boobs or boobs that are two different sizes to each other isn't the end of the world. And if, if men are going to be able to infiltrate our minds like that, then we're going to need to find a way to get them to stop using 12-in-1 body wash to even this out because <laughs> it's just not fair at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That was a whole TED talk about 12 and 1 body wash. <laughs> Ted, I mean, it was a TED talk. I loved it. What, one question before we move on, because we, with um, Liv's topic, really ties in with the, the patriarchy, the fact that we are censored. Um, I think a lot of people do look at you and think, wow, you're so confident and just. I wish I could be more like you. I wish I could embrace my body like you. Do you ever still have that those moments, even though over the time you've obviously grown in confidence? Do you ever get those blips? Do, do they return? And how do you conquer those? Yeah, like when I get, like when I buy like a bunch of, you know when you're just, you put loads of things in the basket and you're like, oh, this is going to look so good on me. Oh, I cannot even. And then it comes and 
you're just looking at the mirror like, wow. I didn't even know I had that insecurity. Well, new, new insecurity downloaded then. That's great. So, like, I still get those moments where, you know, I'm trying to wear this deep plunge item and it's, like, also got the deepest side cut where you have to, like, not move in order to not fall out of it. And I just keep thinking... Maybe I wasn't, maybe I just don't deserve nice things at this point. Maybe my boobs just are a sign that I should just stay out of it and just wear jumpers and turtlenecks. Um, but also, when I do get those insecurities, I have to remind myself no, someone put this idea in my mind and that idea is costing me money. So I need to actually think about what this does for me. Does it benefit me if I choose to now um, align myself with this person's projection? Or does it benefit that person more? Like, who is benefiting more out of this? That's what I have to constantly ask myself. And it's really hard. Sometimes you just don't have time to be doing that. Sometimes you just want to be sad and hate yourself. More than welcome, as long as you don't project it onto anyone else. And as long as you snap out of it and remind yourself there's better things to do. Like, you have so much to offer the world. Like, I really highly doubt that, you know, imagine someone like Maya Angelou, right? She's got such an important message. Imagine people were like, but her boobs are saggy, so we're not going to take in anything she says because her boobs are saggy. Like, it's just so menial and so unimportant, but also important at the same time because it's your body. But I've decided that I'm not placing importance on, on, on someone else's perception of my body. Like, if my boobs irritate you, then that only shows that you have missed out on a wonderful opportunity to know an amazing person because you wish my areola was two centimetres higher up. It's so ridiculous, and that's entirely your L. It's really interesting that you used Instagram as your tool to get your message across because I know there's been a shift lately, but Instagram for such a long time was this place where we all kind of saw perfection and tried to like present ourselves like the perfect photo. And it feels like there has been a shift now, but I find myself still looking at other people's Instagram photos. And for example, with you, with your photos, I just think you look incredible in them. And Thank I, you. welcome. It's true though. Um, and I, and I, you know, I've got quite large boobs as well. And I think, size are you? so I'm, I was 32 double E, but I've had a baby. So I'm bigger all over. So I don't know. I'm not going to measure myself because I'm like, don't really want to know whatever it is, what it is now. Um, and I'm wearing like weird pumping bras that don't, you can wear any size anyway. So it's all good. I kind of don't care anymore about that kind of stuff. Your, your focus shifts a bit. Um, but my boobs over time, you know, gravity takes its toll. I think any with big boobs you're just not going to have per boobs and it's all part of the natural aging process so I've sort of like been ha- having similar thoughts like oh you know my boobs they're not perky they're saggy this and that but when I look at your photos I have there's this tendency and I don't know if this is something we all do in the back of our heads of me to go she looks amazing her boobs look great but not me yeah. do you know what I mean it's like oh you're the exception like, you're saggy right boobs kind of saggy yeah. yeah and uh, do, do you find that do you find women sort of going like I wish I could be up mine like that but I haven't quite I can't quite break through that yeah I've had women saying to me your boobs aren't that saggy like it's not that bad and I'm like oh see caught you there you're saying it's not that bad like why do you think it's bad to sag to begin with yeah. But also, again, it's just like I've I've never come across men being like sat amongst themselves, being like I'm just so worried that my you know balls are going to be even saggier than they are in <laughs> five years time. They should talk about that more. They really should be concerned. <laughs> we should just one day like men did. One, one day men woke up and decided that we were all ugly, right? So one day we need to wake up and be like, you know what? It's not good to have saggy balls. Everyone needs to go get some <laughs> ball surgery. Start posting photos of like really per- perky, balls. perky balls and be like, oh, mm-hmm. these balls are so perky. And someone's going to do a saggy balls matter hashtag. <laughs> well, they better hurry up with that that's their own but this is what I mean it's like it's so arbitrary 
Yeah, but there has been that shift, though, hasn't there? As you said, like it's it's been a little bit of a shift now. People are celebrating imperfections more. There was an amazing um, Andy Warhol quote. This is from a long time ago, but he said, you know, if you've got an imperfection, make a feature of it. So if he had a spot, he would like put makeup around it to highlight it because he was like, if you try and hide things, people look at them. At them, look for them rather yeah. but if you kind of go yeah no it's there and I like it so he would put the, like these sort of strange wigs on and like put highlights around his spots and it and takes the like, power yeah. away from people that want to use it against you and I feel like that's what you've kind of done for boobs you've yeah. Andy Warhol'd your boobs L- wow your mind is too <laughs> powerful it's the equivalent to like I've seen a lot of women who are threatened by men to have their nude photos posted. I've seen women now doing this thing where they're like, well, you know, it's either you post it or I'm going to post it. So once you, once you actually remove the shame from it, you've taken your power back. The person can't use it against you because you already are holding it. So that's what I mean by like, it's all psychological and it's all a power play. All of it is a power play. And I love how mainstream this has gone. Like, I don't know if you guys have watched... Chidera with Eamon Holmes <laughs> saggy boobs and he like doesn't know where to look he's like <laughs> I had my boobs out for the whole interview well I wasn't naked but I was wearing a deep plunge and he just wasn't Is making it? any eye contact with me at all <laughs> oh, I think he could be a candidate for saggy balls matter so you never know maybe <laughs> there's a collaboration there yeah. <laughs> collabs <laughs> thank you so much so, Liv, you're amazing, insecure, the Insecure Girls Club. Please tell us more about that and also your topic. Okay, so, yeah, the Insecure Girls Club is something I started in September last year. Um, kind of came out of a few different things, but I was having lots of conversations with friends and people I was going like doing work events with. And we were all having these really similar conversations that I just wasn't hearing online. So we were talking about comparison, which I know I've spoken to you about many a time. Um, just jealousy, feeling like embarrassed, and all the ways we like deal with these things. And it was kind of like... I didn't realise that all these people and women that I loved or deemed successful, whatever that might mean, felt the same. And I was kind of like, oh, I thought it was just me that felt like I was a bit like mad or something. But I basically wanted to start a platform and just start a conversation where people could just be really open about all these things that we deem as really trivial and just feel really open and honest about them, no matter what they were, whether they were like, yeah, like the way our boobs look, like pubic hair, where like going to work and feeling like you're not in a clique or whether people are buying houses and you're not so there's all these different areas so I started up um this page and yeah it just quickly kind of grew filled with amazing women and there was all these amazing submissions where people were being really vulnerable really honest and I was like why is there not more of that conversation obviously like you know you do such amazing work around thank you the opening conversations you were so brilliant and so are you Louise both so brilliant at starting these chats and it was just kind of doing that and I think where I've blogged for so long I kind of felt like there's a responsibility to open those things up because it's all really lovely talking about clothes and baking and all those things but actually I was like you know I've got this incredible audience who are just as much a part of what I do as what I do if that makes sense um and yeah it was just starting up something that felt like of a value I mean not to like honk my own horn but I wanted to do something that felt that, like that I would have needed and there were lots of times where I look back 
when I was growing up and when like I dropped out of university or being like the only one who never drunk at parties when I was 16 and actually saying like that's not weird like and I remember reading an article in company magazine when I was 16 or even just when I started my blog actually and it was written by Jamila Jamil and she basically spoke about how she didn't drink alcohol and I was like oh my god someone else and there wasn't like Instagram at this time so that was how I found out I wasn't the only person like that and I tore it out and wrote a blog post about it and it's almost kind of passing that baton on and saying I want to do that and I want to feel like how I felt and see something that I was like oh that's a relief we're like uh, we're all we're all the same we're all kind of trudging through and getting on with it but um yeah that's that's a little brief about the and it's and it's um, I think it's really amazing the conversation you started because I think it's it's almost like a weird double standard thing where I think people think that you're you look so amazing your life looks so amazing um how can you possibly have insecurities it's almost like that other patriarchal judgment of you're not allowed to you know there's like a guilt when people come to you and say but you've got a great body what are you talking about oh yeah or you can't do that and feel insecure and I think I've had so many conversations with like but how what you can't feel insecure and I'm like really is that is that how we've been all programmed like it's really really strange standard um so yeah that's why I felt like it felt needed or it was just like kind of a knee-jerk reaction to all these conversations I was having and listening in on and being like okay I want to be a bit more active in that I suppose but my topic is not really related to the Inscore Girls Club but it's very much boob related and it is about nipples um, woo. Um, so it's kind of all to tie in with the whole Super Bowl superb owl um, that's been going on this week and the whole double set it's, just, it's basically reinforcing something that I think I've thought about for a while. I think a lot of people have thought about for a while, but the fact that someone like Adam Levine can just really glorify walking around topless and then you have Janet Jackson in a lip slip, which completely obliterates her career for years. Um, And it's just something that's kind of been poignant with like even blogging. My friend Lizzie Hadfield, who writes a really good blog called Shot from the Street, wrote a really brilliant blog post about the fact she wasn't wearing like bras under her T-shirts and that caused the most controversy of anything. And it's just like this weird double standard. And like you say, with like sexualization and misogyny, like it totally ties in. And it's just this weird thing. I'm just like, what what are we going to have to do to even this playing field about something that we actually have a real genuine purpose for? And they're still sexualized. And people were saying to her, like, oh, it doesn't leave a lot to the imagination. I'm like, so what? Like, that, it, they're not there for you to, like, for your imagination. For your imagination. It's weird, because, like, it's okay for men to imagine you naked, but you can't actually be naked. Yeah. Yeah, it's, like, <laughs> completely <laughs> amazing. <laughs> but, but also, I don't know if you guys actually saw the Super Bowl. Um, I actually stayed up to watch it, just the halftime show, because I actually wasn't too sure who was even performing. And when I, when I was watching it... Um, myself and my boyfriend were like, oh God, this isn't, this isn't great compared to what it normally is. And I could actually see Adam Levine kind of pushing and pushing going, oh God, we need to make this more exciting. It was, a, it was a, like, it was yeah. a, like, oh God, I'll take it's my like, shop off. And then it's like, he's like randomly, he's like throwing a coat away. He did have a terrible vest on though. Not that it makes it any better. Yeah, I like that. And it's like, he's just doing this really modern day striptease. And I'm like, I, I'm, my boyfriend's like, don't. Okay. And the next minute, the top comes off and he's shaking and everything. And I'm like, wow, like that. Part of me kind of felt that, I don't know, was this part of it? Did he feel that the audience need to be extra excited? And, and that's where he was pushing it. And that's when I think it was so interesting, like you're saying, to see where that conversation went. And I was actually, I was like, I did, I, 
I didn't mind looking at him. I was like, oh. But at the same time, I was like, yes, why is there this double standard? And instantly, Janet Jackson came into my head. Completely. And, I mean, she was just totally, like, blackboard out of the conversation. And, like, Justin Timberlake carried on, you know. Just, it was like, oh, it's fine for Justin. And then it's just, like, so ridiculous. It affected her career so enormously. And he can totally play that. And there's not really a conversation that's like, oh, yeah, but it's fine because Adam Levine. Like... He's, I mean, I'm not I'm going to compare the music of Janet Jackson and Maroon 5 because that's a different <laughs> conversation altogether. But it is just that enormous double, like, sexualized standard. And I know you were talking... Well, no, it's, it's, I was just going to say, it's not even that we're just scandalised by this yeah. sort of image of um, what is completely natural, you know, a woman's breast, which, ooh, you know, big deal, someone's nipple. It's A nipple is a nipple, whether it's on a man or a female. It shouldn't be treated differently, in my opinion. But um, it's actually illegal in so many places, even places you wouldn't imagine. Just recently, three women lost their appeal. They're being prosecuted for sunbathing topless on a beach in America, in New Hampshire, which just, it's 2019, what's going on? Like, these women are actually, it's, it's illegal that they've showed their nipples. It's basically illegal to be a woman. Yeah, effectively. And, and let's be honest, women have much more reason to need to get their nips out than men because some of us breastfeed. And, the, you know, as someone who has just had a, ba- a baby last year and has been breastfeeding for the last 10 months, like, the shame that can go hand in hand with getting your boobs out to feed your child in public means that so many women just stay indoors or feel, like, stuck at home or feel really embarrassed. I mean, I've had looks, you know, you get made to feel, like, what are you doing? Like, I've been told, can you not do that here because other people are eating? And maybe you could go in the back room. Sorry. So is my child. So is my child. But also it's like, uh, sorry, but at what point have my boobs become like, oh, I don't want to sort of, you know, uh, titillate the men or like make them feel awkward. Like this, the boobs are not for that. Like they may, you know, if, if a woman wants to use her boobs to titillate a man or a woman, great. But that's not what they were there for. They're there for, for us and they're there, you know, evolutionary wise to feed babies. So that kind of comes first. And it is it's interesting, like how have we come to this point where the kind of, the, our choice whether or not to bring our breasts out in public is sort of we have to take into account how that might affect a man. So it's not even about like, do we feel comfortable? You know, not everyone wants to get their boobs out in public, fine. But it's like, is, are they going to be distracted and crash their cars? Are they going to be turned on and they can't possibly control themselves? Like, and why is that our problem again? So yeah, I, I, I just, having breastfed for the last 10 months, it, it makes me feel really sad for women, especially in some parts of America where it is illegal that, you know, that they maybe even will give up that breastfeeding journey. And I think there was a, an, est, um, an estimate from the World Health Organization saying if every woman breastfed, 800,000 babies' lives would be saved a year. Not everyone will. That's fine. If you choose not to or you can't, that's completely fine and down to you. But for women to be shamed not to because of this issue, to me, especially if that can cost lives, is horrific. Mm -hmm. I I mean, sorry, that was amazing. I'm about to say something really shallow now. Um, But I was just just thinking, um, (laughs) have we gone backwards? Because, you know, 90s sitcoms... I mean, like Friends, Rachel Green, never wearing a bra. And I remember with Sex and the City, it became really popular for people to buy stick-on nipples to wear, like, under a white T-shirt to be like, you know, here they are. Like, it was a fashion... It it was a fashion trend to, like, Velcro on some nipples underneath your top. And so I kind of feel like it was kind of cool back then. I also feel like with music, like, 80s singers were kind of non-binary before we even had a term for it, you know? Mm. I don't know. I just feel like, weirdly, things seem to be kind of becoming more old-fashioned again. More prudish. A little bit. I feel like... I agree with what you're saying about, you know, thinking back now, I'm remembering like David Bowie, for example, someone who just took on so many identities for himself. Um, and 
I do remember as well, like the 90s was very nipple era, even like the mid, the, the early to mid noughties as well. Then something, something Spice shifted. Girls, Mel B. Remember yeah, hers? Yeah, like great boobs. So, amazing. <laughs> something shifted along the way. And I think it's just because like we, we undergo cultural shifts. I don't know how many years it happens in between. Is it five years? Is it seven years? But cultural shifts happen and people suddenly just develop new value systems. And someone down the line decided, okay, nipples are not great anymore. Let's do the complete opposite and now shame them. And I want to know... When did that happen? Who decided it was going to be a good idea to do that? And why do we believe that person? Like, what actually... Someone needs to do some research into... I mean, how's it going to change? Like, how, yeah, like, how yeah. can we, like, reclaim the, like, the nipple? We're doing it right now. Yeah. Well, I was well, going to ask you, actually, Liv, because um, we were chatting before we started um, doing this live podcast and we were having a conversation about this and um, that we were actually talking about the fact that it wasn't always legal for men to show their nipples. So in the 1930s, yeah, there was a group of men in Coney Island, I think it was six men, and they were prosecuted, they were... Um, you know, criminalised basically for getting their nips out, being topless, and they fought it and they made a massive sort of I don't know campaigny, protesty type thing around it. And I think in 1936 it became legalised certainly in that in that area for men to get their nips out. So it's it's not something that like has always been the case because we you know because women's boobs are sexy and men's chests aren't also whatever it's it's not like a rational thing it's something that men had to fight for too and so i was going to ask you Liv, what do you think it will take to do that similar thing for women and allow and free the nip for women hopefully more conversations like this and more kind of just pushing for it i mean to get to a point where you can upload an instagram i don't know the amount of pictures you see like beautiful side profiles and they've got like a little lemon covering the nipple or something or like a watermelon you're just like why are we still having to do that like I don't. I, I feel like more conversation, and I mean, if they can do it in the 30s, I'm like, how in 2019 can we not? Mm-hmm. Like, and I feel there's so many more women talking and being active about this conversation that I mean, hopefully, one day we can actually just accept that it it's part of our body, like it's part of a man's body. So it's interesting because I wish there, I had an answer. There, there was there, there's some people who kind of challenge it on Instagram, and I saw, and some people go, well, it's not the nipple; it's the fact that you've got the kind of fat in the breast so it's the kind of that makes it all sexualized and you're like not being funny but i've seen some moobs out there that are are fattier and bigger and juicier than women's breasts and there are some um, men who've posted photos of themselves but they kind of cut and paste women so they're like larger men and they'll cut and paste women's breasts onto them and see if they still get banned by instagram because it looks kind of like since their boobs so well they have a lot of time (laughs) (laughs) nice being a man Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Okay, so lastly, before we open up to a few questions, if you have any, now's a good time to think of them. Louise, you've been a model for years. You must have seen some things. Oh, my God, I've seen so many things. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I guess I didn't realise until recently that I'm, like, old school. Uh, So basically, a little bit about me. I would be known as what's called a plus-size model. So I've been modelling now a little over 10 years. And when I started, so I started when I was 19... And it was quite an interesting kind of time because that back then, plus-size modelling wasn't then what it is now. Like, it's become quite a, a common word. Curvy models, you'll see them quite a lot now, thank God. Uh, but back then, it was quite different. So it wasn't something I ever woke up one day and was like, today I'm going to be a model. Like, that never happened. Um, and definitely when I was growing up, when I was in 15, 16... I struggled with my weight. I didn't really have anybody that I could identify with, anybody that kind of looked like me, anyone that had boobs that looked like me. And I just, I I was a very insecure child. So when I kind of got older and kind of bloomed into myself, it was one of those things that I was headhunted again by a model agency. In the past, I think when I was like 16, I was on holidays actually here in London and I was scouted, and the model agency actually came up and were like, look, we really want to, we really like your face, but pretty much it's a pity about the rest of you, is essentially what they were trying to say. And they asked me to lose four and a half stone, and I was actually with my granddad at the time, and he was like, okay, sorry, we're, we're just going this way. And like literally the topic, there was no discussion after that. It was instantly a no. And I knew my body type wouldn't be able to cope with that it just I wasn't I was tall I was and I was also a real tomboy growing up as well which is so funny because I'm now a fashion blogger but um it was something again dealing with that old school mentality so then when I kind of how I I I really fell into curvy modeling um I kind of entered some kind of curvy competition I think Gokwan was the judge and it kind of like gave me the taste for what it would be like I mean literally like it was like a teeny tiny runway you couldn't see the end I'm pretty sure I fell off the end because I was so nervous um and you've all these people looking but it was exciting it kind of gave me a taste for what it was and then within a week had my first contract had my first job within 24 hours and it went from there so it was kind of a real like oh I kind of felt very much on my own because I didn't really know any other kind of curvy models or anyone in around my size um but the more I started working it was strange the more confidence I actually got within myself so within the first year I started working in Germany so I don't know a lot of people would know but Germany is huge in terms of there's a big catalogue industry there um, and then you'd have the same in the likes of Sweden and Switzerland and in Germany you'd be working with say much smaller models um, and I kind of got used to working with all different sizes but what was so interesting was seeing all the different kind of body types again I guess my topic for today is very much boobs within the fashion industry and diversity in fashion as a whole and as a topic so I guess diversity in fashion is having its moment which is fantastic but I just really want to assure that it is going to become part of our landscape that it's not just a hot topic and that diversity in fashion of all boobs and of all sizes and all ages are going to be here to stay and I think that's the most important thing that we need to ensure is going to happen. Do you think that sometimes you are part of a tick a tick of a box like do you ever feel that way or do you feel like 
you, you can see this really moving forward? It's a combination, because like, I work on two total different sides of the fashion pond. So I set up Stomy Curvy eight years ago, and it was maybe nine years ago now, and it was one of those things that I saw a gap in the market. And I didn't want it to be a case that people weren't represented. I wanted to talk about all sizes, and within that comes all bus sizes. And I've seen so much of a change in the industry, and I've had endless meetings with people talking to them about diversity and fashion talking to them about the importance and I can hear it going in one ear and out the other and I would go to a casting then as a model and literally it's insane and I, I know any anyone who works in fashion would possibly relate you could be in a casting for two and a half hours and you're like oh my god when is it going to be me and you go and you meet the casting director whoever it is and they will just take one look at you probably open your book and close it again. Like you might have 60 pages in your book that you worked really hard for and they, they won't even look at it. And they're like, um, no, sorry, you're, you're just not right for us. Or I'm told, sorry, you're actually too big for us. And I'm like, is, it, is, is this not a plus size casting? They're like, yeah, you're just too big on the plus side. And that's where it kind of, to me, that's the conversation going, okay, so you were just looking for... So when they're saying that, what do they consider plus size? It very much depends on the people. And in some cases, they would consider size 12 and upwards as plus size. And even in Milan, when I was at, um, I was at a Fashion Week show a few... What was that last season and the season before? I don't want to say the person's name in case I get a solicitor's letter. Um, but I... We can I, edit it out. I'm like, oh. Um, I, so I went to, let's say, a plus size show, and I'm sitting there, and I was delighted to be there and Milan always sounds really really fancy it's actually not that nice but it's fine I was sitting there and I'm on the one like watching all these beautiful models go down the runway and I'm kind of like looking at like the person next to me going where's the plus size models like for the nature of what the brand was and their size diversity there was nothing there and that's where it's quite shocking but then you look to the likes of America where they're so diverse and they've just really started to work on it in the last few years, especially designers like Christian Siriano, who put like 25 plus size models on the runway of all different sizes and all different ages, but didn't talk about it necessarily. Like the press talked about it, but in his eyes, he was just putting these beautiful models on a runway, which is what needs to happen. And especially in age as well, which is a core thing for me because I find that in fashion, once you go past 35 or 40, you're considered too old. And I really want to see women who are in their 60s still on the catwalk and people who are, they're consumers. Like, if your customer is a 60-year-old woman, she should be represented in your fashion marketing, in your advertising and on your one-way shows in some capacity. I wanted to ask you as well about you know, the words that you use to define what you do? Because I feel like through the years, it's also changed. The language has changed. Do you hope that one day you are just a model and you don't have to say in your bio, you know, all these words to describe it? And that's a question I get asked so much because there is this whole divide about plus size, the terminology of plus size. And they're kind of going, but, you know, you're kind of on the cusp and, like, how do you feel and why are you still using this term? And for me, it's it's quite a personal one, is that there's still so much. The plus-size community has had to work so hard to be represented in every kind of capacity and there's still so much work to be done and I think that at the moment until we're at that level where everyone can be on the exact same playing fields, we're all equal 
then I think we, we won't need these terminologies. It will just be accepted. It will just be the norm. And the same when you apply to even magazines. I think what we need more and more now is magazines to just cast beautiful, curvy women or all sizes having... Um, I don't know, a size eight girl of one petite chest, possibly with somebody who's fuller busted, saggy boobs, everything in between, because it's showing that, yes, this is normal. You're human. Congratulations, you're human. And we need to see that in editorial content as opposed to it being a topic, as opposed to kind of picking up going, pick up the curvy, busty issue or whatever it is. I think we just need to open it randomly because it's teaching young girls a message that everybody is equal it, it feels like as well there was a time I don't even know I'm not like tapped into the fashion industry like you are but there was certainly a time when it wasn't even enough to be like a size zero or you know a very skinny model you actually had to be like really flat chested as well yeah. and I think like you know and the androgynous look was very kind of on vogue of a time um, and it feels like even if you were like this tiny little model but you even had boobs it was like you'd have to sort of squash them down and it's it's amazing isn't it because you see people on runways and they're kind of maybe squashing their boobs or feeling like oh god my boobs are too big and then you've got women off runway going oh I need to make my boobs look bigger and perky I'm wearing wonder bras and it's like wherever we're at we're trying to squash them or push them or make them bigger or make them smaller just never enough (laughs) I definitely squashed mine for years because I think it was like the Kate Moss era um this is so weird but I'm gonna tell you um Okay, right. So <laughs> I was imagining yeah. what Emma's possibly. I, I, I wanted smaller boobs because it was fashionable. This is the horrible, insidious thing about the fashion industry is like being flat chested was really cool when I was growing up. And um, <laughs> I used to cut off the top of tights and literally like put them ra- put it around here to like just squash them in a bit. Did it work? Yeah, and I felt like I could wear like high buttoned shirts and they wouldn't be like popping out of the buttons. That is so wrong, isn't it? Yeah. It's painful as well, isn't it? Yeah, and I probably like I went to get a bra fitting and they were like, You've really squashed the your boobs. I'm like, Yeah, I'm gonna try and change that now. It's just sad that like a body type is fashionable or it's like trendy to have like a certain body. Like when a like body shouldn't be a like you know, body shouldn't be trendy. Almost like bodies are just disposable. Like yeah. oh, once this trend is done, you're just suddenly invisible. The, 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 yeah, but there, there was it. a piece on Vogue. I remember it. There was a headline on Vogue that was like, it was like boobs are back. Like boobs are back in fashion, guys. Go? And it was like everyone was like unbounding their like chest. Like oh Jesus, I can let them out again. Thanks Vogue. But it felt like but that. But if you look at if you look at the sort of pinup um, images, you know, from the 1930s, 40s, whatever, it was curvy women with bigger boobs, and and then it went through a phase when it was kind of skinnier and flat chested and it is like you know who can keep up with all that and I have to say that is also why we're really excited to work with two and come here today because as someone who's had a kind of odd size boob and a bigger boob it's really hard also to find anything nice and pretty that fits you like you basically I had to go and get the what I used to call the well what lots of people call the over the shoulder boulder holder bras which are basically like these kind of just like strapping big they're just not nice you don't want to bring them out necessarily that kind of a bra and so um two are doing i don't know if you've had a chance to look at them but they're 32a to 42 double g and they're nice and they're pretty so it's actually nice to see that kind of filtering into the high street as well in that way because um there was there was a long time when we were kind of limited like unless you had this type boob you're not allowed to have pretty bras and you know and keep them away or put them up make them bigger make them smaller but also like the different selection because i think that's one thing that i've definitely learned from uh, the stone curvy side of stuff is when it comes to boobs of 
all different shapes and sizes, it's a difficult thing to dress. And so many people come to me in absolute panic. They're like, I have to wear this dress, or it's my 40th, or something's coming up, but I, like, I have to wear this kind of bra, and they're trying to sh- show me what, what they want to wear. They're like, but I can't wear wires, and I can't wear this. And I think everyone has their own kind of comfort zones of what they like to wear. And it's amazing, like the... The two at Sainsbury's collection, what I loved about it was there's a little bit of everything. If you want wiring, you can have wiring. If you wanted padding, if you wanted the extra oomph, you can have that. And what's more is everything, like you're saying, is pretty and girly and feminine. Whereas before, when I'm kind of sending people links to stuff, I'm kind of like, I'm really sorry because they don't look very... like I don't know. They look like some kind of Viking architecture stuff. And I'm like, there you go. Industrial strength. Exactly, yeah. Like, these will keep you up for the day. Um, (laughs) But when I was actually... you'll, You'll see the piece when it comes out soon... And I think I wore like six different um, two pieces. And just the selection was so nice. And I'm just such a weirdo. Even to this day, I just get so emotional when I see new things and diverse sizes. And also the fact is, um, I'm not promoting them now, but they do go up to a size 24 brief, which to a lot of people is like, oh, that's no big deal. For me, it's a big deal because I like to be able to see yes, you might be a, a double G, but you need to get the briefs to go with that and you can be curvy on bottom as well. So it is great to see a brand highlighting that as well, I think is really lovely. That's amazing. And it shouldn't be rare, but it feels like that still needs to be across the board. it is. It's still, it's a, it's a rarity and it's one of those things that as well, I think there's nothing that beats a woman that feels amazing in her underwear and she feels great and she feels confident regardless of age, regardless of bust. Um, I think that's the most important thing is to make someone feel fabulous about themselves. Yes, absolutely. You made made a really important point much earlier on in what you were saying about um, older women being included in advertising. And even with the conversations surrounding body confidence and body positivity, I've noticed that often um, older women are just not involved in the conversation. We just they're just not... I just don't see them. And the same way when we see things like, you know, Victoria's Secret campaigns and... um, you know anything that's celebrating a woman's um, sexual power or just her ability to really be divine. I've never actually seen any kind of campaign where a woman in her 60s is being celebrated for her sexuality. And no one could tell me that women that are 60 are not having sex because when I turn 60, I'm going to be busting, busting it <laughs> wide open. Are you mad? I can't get pregnant, so I'll do whatever I want to do. <laughs> is that connected, though, as well to the whole your, your saggy boobs matter movement? Because sagginess is seen as some kind of a sign of ageing. Yeah, that's a depreciation like, oh, in value. Oh, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's the idea that, you know, an old, the older a woman is, the less valuable she is when actually it's the other way around. If a woman has got wrinkles, best believe she knows a lot of things. Like, if you are, yeah, if you're older, yeah. you have got more experience, which means that you know more, which means you're more powerful. And yet, I don't see that being celebrated. All I see is that people are, you know, celebrating the idea that, you know, you've got to look 22 forever and that's the pinnacle of your beauty. When, what about women who are 80 and 90? How are they going to be able to access these conversations because they're not sitting on Twitter and Instagram and they're not up to date with the latest hashtags like we are but what can um, brands do to include those women and awaken that um, prowess and power in them because it's still there you don't just stop being sexual or stop being powerful or stop being um, incredible just because you have reached a new milestone in your life and I think that's a new um, 
area that needs to really be attended to with care. And I don't think it's my place to do that because I've never been, I've never been older before. I've never been an old woman before. Be and old, Chadira, for a campaign, please. Right. So like, <laughs> it's like, how do, we, how do we do this? Because it's not my place to be like, yeah, well, you know, older women got it too. Like, I, I don't know. But, but, you know, it is quite a Western concept, just to very quickly add on to what you're saying, is that um, there was an amazing book, and it was called um, Healthy at 100, and it was this um, guy who was the, he was the um, bu- um, Buskin Robbins, the ice cream heir, John Robbins. He gave it all up and went and decided to dedicate his life to health and work and research and how to live longer and happier and healthier. And he found that there are seven cultures in the world that live well over 100 and they're happy. And he looked at all the... They're all over the world, all over the globe, but they had certain things in common. Some of the things were to do with eating more plant-based, whatever, you know, all different sorts of things, exercising more because their lifestyle was more active. But one of the things which really surprised me was the one thing they all had in common was attitudes to old people. So exactly as you were saying, the older the person became, the more precious they became. It's like, oh my goodness, we get to spend time with a wise person who's got so much to teach me. So these older people were revered and therefore they didn't feel useless, they didn't feel cast aside and they lived healthier and happier and longer. So actually changing those kinds of attitudes and hopefully that becoming a more westernised concept as well means that the entire society will be happier and age happier and live longer. There you go. Yes, amazing. Ooh. Thank you so much, everyone. We could Thanks talk for, for much us. longer, but thank you. Thank you. Um, if anyone has a question, we'd love to hear from you, if you don't mind being on the podcast recorded and uploaded to iTunes. So It's, it's just in relation to talking about the prudishness and us going backwards. And when you were saying it, I suddenly got my pen out. And I, I was wondering whether any of you feel that it might be related to the development of the porn industry? Ooh, such a good question. Where do I start? The thing is, I actually want, I wanted to mention sex workers quite early on because I think that sex workers do really, really important work in our society. First of all, they are the OG scammers of the patriarchy. Um, <laughs> they have... They basically ran so we could fly. And why I say that is because, I mean, we can, we're making jokes and we're able to laugh, but the amount of shame that sex workers face, um, and that shame comes from how dare you be able to benefit off being sexualized? That's not okay, because every single woman is sexualized, um, whether we give permission or not. Sex workers, the difference is that they are able to actually get benefit out of it in a world that spins against them. And so... With the conversations surrounding sex workers, um, that leads into discussing autonomy and discussing really taking control of your body and owning your body. And I think the problem with the porn industry is that, of course, because it's framed in a way that prioritises the male gaze, it often means that our power is taken away. So I've recently learned from following loads of sex workers that the, literally the best way to take your power back um, is to engage in... Um, I think it's to engage in sexual intimacy with people that are actually hell-bent on putting your pleasure first. Um, because if you are... And I was speaking about this recently in an interview. I think it was like women's health. Yeah, women's health. That If you're going to sleep with your oppressor, men, um, if you're going to do it for free, and that's a whole different conversation that I'm not going to have on this podcast. <laughs> if you're going to do it for free, then make then make sure that he's going to put your pleasure first. You can't... It's, it's, a, it's too much of a loss to, one, sleep with your oppressor, and then, two, on top of that, not get anything out of it, and then be shamed on top of that. But with porn, it's like... The weird thing I find with porn is that it really places the power in the hands of men and gives them the illusion that they're doing the right thing, um, which doesn't help anyone. doesn't help us if we're pretending. And I'm learning that the most radical way to exist... 
um, is to just say, I don't, I'm not enjoying this, or I, I'm not attracted to you, or I'm not turned on by this. And it's a privilege to be able to say that as someone who you know, lives in the Western part of the world, because there are still parts of the world where women cannot say, I'm not enjoying this, or cannot say, I'm not turned mm-hmm. on, or cannot say, this is my body and this is my rules. So I think with porn, it opens up a larger conversation about what we can do to individually take our power back. And that's why I mentioned earlier about if someone threatens to leak your nudes, just threaten to leak them first. <laughs> Honestly, worst thing that can happen is you're going to get slut-shamed. But you're going to get slut-shamed anyway for wearing a jumper. Like, someone's still going to be like, oh, you're... Such a good point. I, I, I also think as well it starts really early with education because actually I'd love a group of, like, 12-year-old boys to come and see this, to come and see what boobs look like, to come and see that we're all different different shapes and sizes with all body parts because, for me, the biggest problem is that, I, I mean, I don't know the recent stats, but it was something like as young as nine... Um, your kids are like exposed to like accidentally seeing something on YouTube or accidentally seeing, you know, they are seeing these images before they're seeing a real body, before they're seeing a real person. So I think we, I think really early on, we just need to be like, this is what bodies look like because they don't look like the porn industry. And this is what they're for. And, and yes, yeah. we want to be nice to each other yeah. and not, not aggressively, you know, treat each other really weirdly and badly online. <laughs> Um, Maybe we need to start some porn with like some healthy ethical porn. Yeah, because but I feel like you know women are obviously the greatest losers in this, but also you know these these young boys watch it and they must just think, well, this is how you do it, right? Do you know what? The only way for porn to be ethical is if women are directing, filming, mm-hmm. and completely taking everything. everything. The whole team has to be women. That's the only way I feel that it will be ethical to an extent, anyway. Yeah, uh, that was a really Great good question. question. Uh, anyone got another question? Um, I feel like the social justice um, era is taken over by like capitalism to be like trendy and like be like oh like let's talk about boob sizes for selling this bra and it's kind of like as soon as it becomes unprofitable it becomes off topic like it becomes something that brands don't sponsor to talk about so I was just wondering, wondering like what is your opinion on like the mixture of capitalism and also like social justice or like um feminism etc it's such a good one um, i feel like I, I just want to say something really quickly because recently monroe bergdorf the incredible model she love was her. on obviously love her she's fronting a campaign a lingerie campaign at the moment and um she's coming at it from kind of a trans experience and there's lots of other there's you know someone with a d- disability there's i mean it's so diverse this campaign and she was on good morning britain with i think her fave piers morgan but um <laughs> the, they were sort of two people were battling it out like is this good or is this you are being used by the brand and actually she was saying that it gives a platform and it gives exposure and actually if a brand wants to put money into that and shout about something kind of who are we to put that down but it's a really interesting clip i just recommend watching it because you might agree with the other side or her side or in between and just like and, and with that like that is a popular topic that i would come across as well because also it's to do with inverted commas trends and yes like you're saying we're having this conversation about boobs and one thing that i would say is that yes you're dealing with possible topics of capitalism but one thing you cannot take away right now which is an amazing thing is the use and power of social media in a positive way because it's our voices and it's us asking people what we want to see because what's happening right now in the industry 
even in terms of the conversation of diversity, it's because people are getting out their phones and, and pulling people up on things and going, do you know what, this is what I want to see. And I think the conversation will always be there. And if you're prepared to use your voice and say, do you know what, I actually really want to see double Gs in this... Um, I think that's when people are going to have to listen. They're forced to listen, as opposed to it actually being a financial marketing decision. And while, yes, in capitalism, political actors seek to survive, at the same time, you still have to use your voice and people still have to listen. And I don't think that will ever be something to end. It can never be something considered as a trend as such. Yeah, to expand off the back of that, I think... What's really important to understand that is that we all participate in capitalism and that it's a larger system than all of us, which means that it's, it's low-hanging fruit to sort of point at people that are involved in social activism and being like, why are you benefiting off hard work in capitalism? Doesn't that mean that you are also fueling this aggressive system that's swallowing all of us? When really the, the um, angst should be directed at the system itself. What can we do to take the system apart so that people don't have to monetize social activism? Because I think the, the root of that question often, because I've had that question so many times and I've had people you know, say all kinds, all kinds of things to me, like, oh my God, you're a fake activist because you make money. Um, and I think it comes from the idea that, again, it's because I'm a black woman, you're supposed to martyrize yourself. And to martyrize yourself means that you must be willing to die for the cause. It must mean that you need to look as hard as you work which means that, you know, I'm not a good activist because I get paid and I um, live a life that um, is, is fueled by the work that I do. Um, because in order to be a good activist, there's like a whole check... I've written down a whole checklist of how to be a good activist. And it includes make sure you do community work, but don't post any pictures of it because it's going to look like a photo op. But then if you don't post pictures, how are we going to know you're doing community work, which means you're a fake activist. So you need to post more photos of the work you do for the community, but don't post it because it means you're not doing it for a genuine reason. And also, if you want to be a good activist, remember, don't make any money off it. You've got to be willing to die for the cause. But then when you die, no one's going to know why you died. You just died. When... (laughs) Yeah, but remember, you died for the cause, though. Now, for me personally, I've decided I not coming here to die for any kind of cause I will, I'm willing to fight for things and I'm willing to speak up where I can but I'm also going to definitely get my money out of it because um, it's either that or I don't make any money and I live a life where I am poor and unhappy and the world gets to spin and continue around me and that's the problem with um, the whole conversation surrounding is activism good or bad if brands get involved and I think brands for as long as we've existed, have dictated what the trends are, have dictated what the standards are, and have reinforced all these um, aggressive ideas of how we should exist. And so if we as normal people can change how brands actually um, structure their framework, that is power, because we're shifting that narrative. And of course, capitalism will still happen. We're still fueling the monster. But it means that we're not using people to feed the monster anymore. We're using other things to feed this monster. So it's like... What can we do to work within this already damaged system to benefit as many people as possible rather than what can we do to nitpick at people who are doing the work and, you know, make them feel like they're not genuine human beings for being able to benefit of a system that already spins against all of us anyway. So it's like, are we going to work together to defy capitalism or are we going to stop and be like, well, this person over here... Um, is making money out of, you know, being able to talk about their insecurities, that's not ethical. Well, neither is capitalism. So until we're willing to actually, you know, discuss the roots of capitalism Mm -hmm. and the origination of it and how it affects all of us, I don't think it's a 
um, as much of a productive conversation to, um, you know, hone in on social activists and brands and be like, why are you doing good things? Because you want to make money. Like we're all, do- we're all, we're all literally like selling our bodies for money. We're selling our time. Like you're still selling your body if you're working on a shop floor. You're selling yourself for money. We're all doing it. So it's about deciding like what, how far are you willing to attach yourself to? to all of this yeah i think also just to add to that i think that you know we have seen brands getting it wrong right everyone remembers what happened with pepsi and kendall jenner right and it can go really wrong and i think what's really important is if you're going to celebrate diversity you've got to do it behind the scenes as well so that decision makers need to be more diverse you can't you can't be having you know a campaign where you've got you know this incredible range of people of all shapes and sizes and colors and it's it's a a board of white men making those decisions because they're going to get it wrong for one secondly it's just it's just not right and so when we start seeing the decision makers, a little bit like what you were saying with the porn, it's not enough to just have porn being representative and you know, being ethical. You've got to have the decision makers. And that's what I think we all need to work a little bit more is, is not just you know, fashion walks having great diversity, but let's have the people who are in the top of the yeah, fashion like, are industry. Are we getting non-binary people to actually direct campaigns and style? Like, are we getting all that? Yeah, and to handle the money side of it. You know, and, that, and that's where I think we can start to see some real genuine change as well yeah that's such a good question though i think it's such an ongoing one because it you know if you're making money in all sorts of ways these days but i think yeah that's an interesting answer as well one more then please thank you i just wanted to um quickly mention the thing that younger you felt like it was fashionable to have um um like small boobs and i definitely developed early i was the first out of like the whole group of my friends at school and i actually got picked on for having uneven boobs and i didn't know that it was normal to actually have one that was bigger than the other and i was 10 years old and um even after that it was still i was still picked on for having the biggest boobs but one of the things when the rest would start um their boobs were growing they were smaller but they would say to me but don't worry yours are bigger because um boys like that so that's actually good so I was like brought up in a in a way that was like it's un- it's wrong to have uneven boobs but it's also good to have big boobs for boys and I was 10 years old and from 10 to 13 you're at such an impressionable age you you just want to fit in and I think that this conversation needs to be brought into um, education as young as 10 people might think that that's controversial or too young but it's not because um, girls are starting the periods at 10 11 years old it, nine years that needs to be um, discussing like right down to primary school I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that really yeah and it's definitely a topic as well that I'm quite passionate about and like you were saying a big thing and Emma you were saying earlier about education and I think not just boobs but body types in general and exposing um, younger kids to showing them the reality of kind of going this is a, a human this is body types and both across boys and girls and teaching young boys you know, women come in all different shapes and sizes because as well when it comes to, don't want to go into the conversation of eating disorders, but um, kind of mental health and body image issues are affecting both boys and girls at a really young age these days. It's absolutely terrifying. And when I open my inbox sometimes, I'm like, oh my God, I have parents coming to me asking me these questions, especially with the, like, the likes of this Snapchat and there's all these other kind of platforms half of us don't even use because it's a younger audience. And it's again, this conversation and bullying is happening so quickly over all these topics because people aren't educating 
the younger kids correctly? I don't think. I think there's so much more conversation that needs to be had. I think there's a lot of people out there that are prepared to come and offer talks, but I don't think schools are tapping in enough to that just yet. Of course, you're getting like you're getting education on the playground. Like that's how you're learning about things to like other children who have like their own like obscure opinion on things, and then it just like 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 you say it like was embarrassment and uncertainty, and then you don't want to bring it up again and you're just left with this image that another nine-year-old has taught you on the playground but old boys will like that and then that stays with you and there's not that conversation between Mm -hmm. that age and then like the end of puberty or when you turn 20 until you get on like Instagram and you start following people who you feel relevant to you and that's years later and you've just been like so unsure and I feel yeah exactly the same as you do about that yeah I think I think the sex education conversation is actually such a sad one because the budgets are so crap and basically like teachers in you know biology or even PE or something they get roped in to do just sex education modules like they don't even have this sex education person by the way is anyone watching sex education on a tv show my god so good um but I just feel like all of this stuff is cut off because they need to go you know on the really uh focus on the actual act itself rather than all of the kind of side chat because I had the similar thing where totally flat-chested, and then my boobs literally grew overnight, overnight, and I came in the next day, like, hi, guys. <laughs> like, they just, they just, they were just there. And, and they hurt as well. Like, no one tells you that. They hurt when they grow. Hurts when someone punches you in the boob as well. Can we talk about that? Um, no, I'm joking. But, um, yeah, I feel like all of this stuff, the reason it's not talked about is because I think schools are really suffering, and we need to... I don't know the answer for that, but I wish there was more money going into sex education as a whole. And I think also it's, it's a wider conversation around um, bullying as well, because it's not just sort of sexual aspects of our, ourselves and our bodies. You know, it's, I, I remember when I was, I think, about seven years old, I was quite skinny as a little kid, and then I just sort of... Um, I just sort of curved out, I guess. I don't know, I just... Um, became a bit um, curvier, even as a seven-year-old, I had a bit of, um, bit of weight on me, and I remember I jumped for a ball once, and my top T-shirt came up, and in front of everyone, the boy just went, ah, she's fat, and literally, like, it was the most, like, ground-swallowing moment for me, and from that moment on, till, I mean, I'm 37, and not that long ago, I'd say maybe five, six years ago, I was obsessed with my waist, my stomach being fat. I used to, I found diaries when I was a kid drawing pictures of myself as fat and this is what I will look like one day and I'll be thin, then I'll be happy, then I'll have a boyfriend, all this stuff. And, you know, that, it, it, that kind of like, the way that we sort of look at each other's bodies and especially kids because they don't know the harm they can do, I think that conversation needs to be had whether it's around someone who's got boobs or who hasn't got boobs or who's a bit bigger or is skinnier. I think that's so important that we start having that conversation, like you said, as a, at an earlier age. Do you know what? I've, I think when it comes to kids body shaming other kids, it's because they probably have a parent that body shames their self. Like if you had a mum that was always dieting and she would always call herself fat in front of you or always was weighing herself or would always, you know, she, helps, she was having a bad day, it's because she felt fat that day, felt fat, felt fat that day, then you already are processing that as a child thinking, well, fat is bad because it makes mum sad, which means I can use that as a weapon to hurt other people. And that's how it develops. So it starts with, like, I just... It's really hard because it's, it's, it's really harsh to say that not, parenting isn't for everyone because quite a classic thing to be like, well, you know, poor people shouldn't have kids because they have, you know, mentalities that tend to create damage in children. But it's about actually we all have a responsibility to try to keep having these conversations because a lot of us in this room might end up becoming parents and 
the mentality we have is what we're going to use to raise our children. So if, we're, if we are broken people and we're raising children, we're raising broken children who are going to break other people. And that's how we continue to have a broken generation because no one's doing the work on their self. True. Yeah. So true. Wow. That, who knew boobs was li- like such a deep topic? Like, it really is. Um, thank you again so much to everyone for just sharing. I mean, I feel like we've really opened up. So um, thank you so much. And also thank you to you because it's a Saturday morning. You might be hungover. We are so um, appreciative. And please stay and mingle for as long as you want or enjoy your Saturday. Thank you and, so, so much. And just to add as well, so this is um, a live recording for Get It Off Your Breasts. It's going to be released on the 18th of February, so not long to go. So um, do go and have a listen. It's on iTunes. And if you want to share with your friends, we'd be really, really grateful. We're on season three now. Woo! This is episode two of season three. Um, if you take photos from the event as well, well, we just also, of course, want to say a huge thank you for Two for hosting us here. They've got a boob pop-up all weekend, all kinds of activities. There's really cool Instagrammable boob balloons over there. You can take photos in front of. Um, if, you, if you want to post photos from today, you can use the hashtag allboobswelcome. You can also hashtag get it off your breasts. Um, maybe these ladies also want to let, let us know their, um, their Twitter handles or Instagram handles so you can follow them because the conversation has only just started with them, no doubt. So if you want to just share. You can find me on all social media at the slum flower. Um, or if you want to find any interviews I've done where I'm going in depth about boobs, you can just literally search the slum flower on the internet. It's like a this morning interview, and that's like the interview where you can see Eamon Holmes like, just being so <laughs> nervous watching me discuss boobs right in front of him. I'm literally going to like Google that like right now. Um, and you can find me on at style, me curvy on pretty much everything. Jeez. Um, well, I'm at the Insecure Girls Club or at Liv Purvis on Twitter. And Emma and I are on our normal ones, at Leanna Bird. And, at yeah. and hashtag get it off your breasts. Yeah, Thanks. hashtag get it off your breasts. Thank you so thank much, you, guys. You. And thank you to our guests once again. Thank you so much for listening to yet another juicy episode of Get It Off Your Breasts. Don't forget to click subscribe to make sure you don't miss any further episodes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.